apologies that we're having to do it virtually today. The Parashat Shira, unfortunately, broke my leg. So I'm a little bit stuck at home at the moment. Okay, let's get into Parashat Bashalach. Let's have a look. Lots going on. On a simple level, it's the Sedra, it's the, it's the part of the Torah's reading where the Jewish people leave Egypt and the splitting of the sea happens, right? The Egyptians pursue them. Hashem splits the sea. Afterwards, they sing the song, the Shira. Great vision they have. In fact, the Medrash says that the least spiritual member of the people could see more than Yechezkel saw. Why Yechezkel? Because Yechezkel is the prophet, the Novi, who in the opening chapter already has this tremendous vision of the inner workings of the heavens. So the lowest, least spiritual Jew can see more than that because they use the word I could see God. It's like it's tangible. Fine. And then after that song, which seems to be this great pinnacle, everything is crashing down. In fact, I once said that described the, the faith and doubt of the people, as we'll see, goes up and down through the sedra. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss the curvature of it soon. But in principle, after singing this amazing song, one thing after another starts to, starts to go wrong. What, what happens first? So they come to Elima. They can't, right. So you say even before then, they start asking, they start, there's no, there's a lack of water, right? They come to the desert of shore and they're three days in the desert. They can't find any water and they start complaining. They couldn't drink the water. So bitter. And they complain, what are we going to drink? Cries out to Hashem. And Moshe cries out to Hashem. So the tree comes and sweetens the waters and everything's fine. And, and they get a little bit of a, an encouragement and a musa. And, you know, like, uh, you gotta, you gotta make sure to keep Hashem's mitzvahs. Then they come to Eliamah, and there they've got the Eliam, and they've got this, um, they have these 12 springs of water, 70 date palms, they camp there, and they journey on into Midbar Sin, the desert of Sin, and they start complaining again. And here they start to use some very strong language. They say, If only we could have died at the hand of Hashem in Egypt. When we sat on the pot of meat, we ate bread, so much bread. You've taken us out. And you're giving us all starvation. And here we get the famous parasha, the, the episode of the Mon, the miraculous food that sustained them, and the custom, the Minag, of reading at this time of year and reminding ourselves that everything is in the hand of Hashem. Long, long, long discussion about all this. And then it seems, okay, so now we've solved all the problems. And then... People went out on the seventh day. The rule was on the seventh day, don't collect mon. On the Shabbos, don't collect mon. People did it. And, 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 and Moshe again speaks to them and tells them about it. But now what happens is, after he shows them, of course, it evaporates and, and that doesn't work. And, and then they, they're going to keep a certain amount of mon forever. But then they go on this journey, Al Piyashem. They arrive in Rafidim, and once again, there's no water. Ah, another problem. By Yarev Ha'amim Moshe, and they quarrel, they say, give us water, finished, and we'll drink. And Moshe says, why are you quarreling to me? What's this? You're quarreling with me? You're testing Hashem? Right? You don't trust Hashem at this point that he's going to sort out water? Anyway, they say, why? Again, why did you take us out of Mitzrayim of Egypt? But some are all going to die. Us, our children, our our cattle. And Moshe cries out to Hashem. He says, what am I going to do? These guys are about to kill me. And Hashem says, yeah, take, take, come with you, the elders of the people. Take the stick that you, you originally hit the water in Egypt with and go to the, you'll stand there, you'll see. 
You'll see the presence of Hashem in Chorev, in near Sinai. You'll strike the, the rock, water will come out, and that's what he does. And they call the place Masamariv, and I listen to this phrase. Al-Riv al-Nasaysam Hashem. The quarrel the Jewish people had and their testing of Hashem. Lamar saying, Hayesh Hashem Bekir Ayn, is God here or not? Unbelievable. How long after the splitting of the sea are we talking already? Where the, the maidservant, the, the least spiritual person, could see God and now they're doubting God. And at that moment, Malik, Amalek comes. And now the war starts. And the rabbis say the, the link is because if you doubt Hashem, Hashem doubts you. Amalek is always about doubt. Amalek is the doubt of God. Amalek is the doubt of, of everything. And Amalek even is Gematria Suffolk. So you have doubt, let's see doubt incarnate. And doubt incarnate is ready to destroy you. Well, now how are they going to fight Amalek? Moshe tells Yeshua, take people, go and fight Amalek. And what does Moshe himself do? He goes, Moshe, Aaron, Achor, go up to the top of the mountain. And Kashayorim Moshe Yod, as, as Moshe's hands go up, the Gavar Yisrael, the, the Israel wins. Kashayaniach Yod, his hands go down. Gavar Amalek, Amalek wins. And Moshe's they were heavy. So they took stones. They've supported him. Vayhi Yodov Emuna. His hands were Emuna. Faith. Antidote to doubt, right? Adba Hashamash till sunset. And Yeshua won the war. And then you got to write, we've got to write this down that we should always get rid of Amalek and wipe out the memory of Amalek. And Moshe puts on an altar and calls Hashem Lisi. And Kiyoda case called as a hand against the throne of God. There's a war between God and Amalek in every generation. And here we finish. So I think it was described as Rabbi Weinberg or someone said it's like a sine curve. You come out of Egypt and they're doing very, very well. They're, they're on a high. And then they get the Egyptians coming and they collapse. They cry out to Hashem, say, down. And then they reach this peak, unbelievable peak at the splitting of the sea. And then down, 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 down to this unbelievable trough at the bottom of, of the, the, is God here or not? And then they win the war with Amalek and up again. And next they can go from Rafidim from this place and receive the Torah, amazingly. So what's going on? What are these up, down, faith, doubt, doubt, faith? And we can see that throughout. They do have faith, then they don't have faith, then Moshe's hands are faith. Well, this is the, the center of faith and doubt. But it's also, there's another theme that's moving all the way through. And that is the theme of the hand. Let's just take a few, a, a glimpse at a few issues to do with the hand as it goes from the beginning of the Sedra. So Paro sends the people out. Now remember in previous Sedras, Hashem said, Paro will send you out with the Yad Chazaka, with a strong hand. Later, Hashem himself sends with a strong hand. So the hands are already behind the scenes here. But now, what happens? Right near the beginning, that Hashem sends them a more circuitous route. And the Bnei Sol Yoitzim Biyad Rama. They go out with their hand held high. Right? They, this is what they do. So, and so they're going. So this hand is, is something, uh, it's something that seems, that seems to be positive. Their, their hand is up. They're doing, they're doing well. And okay. Next, we find that all the way through, as power chases them, catches them up. And, and as they cry out saying, well, you know, are there not enough graves in Egypt? He took us over here. And then the tremendous Yeshua Hashem, see the salvation of Hashem, all this stuff that happens. And what's Moshe Rabbeinu do? Hashem says to Moshe, 
lift up your stick. stretch your hand. Oh, the same hand. over the and the water will split. So Moshe's hand is involved in the miracle. Okay. Now we talk about this this exactly happens and, and Moshe lifts up his hand and Moshe lifts up his hand in Pot Khafala, verse 21. Hashem and Hashem blows this huge wind and it splits the sea. The Bnei saw that they come through, the, the Egyptians chase after them. And Hashem, they're, they're already getting stuck, the Egyptians in there. And then Hashem says to Moshe in Pesachofov in 26, once again, stretch your hand over the water and the waters will go back. And Moshe does it and the waters return, come crashing down and the Egyptians are gone. Okay. At that point, Hashem sends, saves on that day. Esisrael is a miyad mitzrayim from the hand of Egypt. Okay, that's a relatively standard expression. But still, Vayar Yisrael, Yisrael, see, it's a yod agadoyla, the great hand. Hashem mitzrayim, the God had done against Egypt. So that we've been saved from the hand of Egypt, which is actually the hand that originally let us go, right? The Yod Chazaka. And now we see the hand of Hashem in its place. And that's what Vayaminu Hashem of Moshe after they believe in Muna, faith in Hashem, or belief in, or Faithfulness is probably the most correct translation to Hashem and Moshe's servant. And they sing this song. And what do they sing this song? Look at the words they sing. They talk about, oh, Hashem's salvation. Hashem's a man of war. Hashem is Melchama. Right? We talk about all this stuff. And as they do so, Yemin Hashem, your right hand Hashem, Nedari Bakoyach is majestic in its might. Yemin Hashem, it's your right hand that destroys the enemy. Right? Tishaf. We say Tishach you do all this there, right? So Baruch you blow, blow them all around in in the deep seas, right? The enemy wants to come and get you, and then we say, yeah, okay. There's a few different other references to hand where well, the enemy over there, and then we talk about Mikdash Hashem The culmination of all this process is Hashem making a holy place, being made through your hands, right? So again, the hands make their way through this song. All the way through, and and so and so on, and then what happens is we see once again with all all the all the complaints and so on, and and again all the way through you'll notice different things to do with hands and hands and hands. The hands that are supposed to stick get the water. The hands here, the hands there, and finally, finally, finally comes the war with Amalek. Moshe's hands have to go up and hands have to come down. Even the place they fight them, Rafidim, the Medrash points out the word Rafu Yedehem Min Their hands had become weakened from Torah. What does that mean? And then finally, finally, the very, very end of the Sedra is literally this principle of not Moshe's hands go up and win, Moshe's hands come down and lose. And then, there's a hand against the throne of Hashem. The war between Hashem and Amalek in every generation. It's fought with a hand. Amazingly. So what is this hand? Muna going down, up, up, down, up, down, up, all over the place. Faith going up and down. Doubt coming in when you just seen Hashem a minute ago. What is the role of the hand? By the way, the war with Amalek and Israel about hands, of course, goes much, much earlier. There's a beautiful piece in, in a sefer. The brother of the Vilna Gaon wrote a, a short sefer called Malas Torah, the levels of Torah, where he quotes many midrashim, beautiful ideas from ancient rabbis about the importance of, of learning Torah and teaching Torah. And there's a commentary on it by a student of the students of the Vilna Gaon, Ravitzakaisa Chavek, called the Ara Torah. And in there, he actually says, there's a bit of a discussion around his footnote, Lamadala 34 and other places nearby. When, and, point, and the basic point is that the battle between Israel and Amalek over the hand 
goes all the way back to their battle of their ancestors, Yaakov and Esau, over the hand. Because remember, when Yaakov went to get the brachos from his father, and he wasn't sure he's going to bless him, he, he's worried he's going to feel him, and he has to put... And Yitzchak says, Yitzchak the father says, Hakol kol Yaakov, the voice of the voice of Yaakov, Esav, the hands are the hands of Esav. And the Medrash, she says it, when Yaakov can activate his voice, then he can use the hands of Esav, right? And when Yaakov fails to, then Esav has a right to say, excuse me, my hands come back and I dominate you. And that, of course, becomes through Amalek later on. So this hands thing is not just a little coincidental cluster that happens all the way through the parishes here. It's something very central and fundamental. But let's pause for a moment and think a little bit more about this issue of faith and doubt. Because how can you ask questions like is God here when you've literally seen the miracle of the splitting of the sea? Even if you wanted to say, it may be there's some natural processes, the wind can blow. Fine, it's still unbelievable, miraculous timing. The wind blows at that moment, splits the thing open and then back together. Everybody, and they saw it so clearly. They could say, here's God. They could sing the shira, the song that will be sung in the future when the world achieves perfection, the resurrection of the dead. The Gemara says they'll sing this song and that's why it's future tense. As Yashir Moshe, then Moshe will sing. And then you ask, is God here? And there's different layers of the answers. What I heard, going back to what the Rav Weinberg's piece, it's really based to some degree on a Zohar. But it's as follows. It really goes, let's take it to the Gemara Megillah. We said that Amalek is, is gematriosophic. Amalek is, is always... The incarnation of doubt. And doubts, you think is that the worst thing? Doubt. There's an amazing Gemara. And there's lots of amazing Gemaras. Like the Gemara Megillah, which gives a whole madras running through the actual Megillah itself, says as follows. It discusses the moment that Amalek's great-great-great-grandson, Haman, comes to propose the final solution to the Jewish problem to King, King Achashverosh in the Purim story. Probably Xerxes in the Persian Empire. And he says to him, he says, you know, there's this people, they're scattered around, it's not worth the king keeping them and so on. And the Gemara says, and it's Rava says in the Gemara, nobody knew Lishnabisha, the tremendous way of talking in slanderous negative term, which anti-Semitism always is, always starts with Jew demonization and slander and twistedness and very contemporary issue nowadays. But nobody knew it more than Haman. He says like this, you see, he walks in and immediately he's been promoted out to the viceroy of the empire. And as he walks in, everybody understands he is the Nazi party. We know his agenda. King Ahasuerus understands, the emperor understands, it. I know what you're about, Haman. He says, but understand why I'm not going to just acquiesce so easily and have the Jews all killed. It's because I look at history and I study history and I see every time people try and kill Jews, it doesn't go well. Look at Pharaoh in Egypt. Haman says, Yeshnai, that unusual word for there is. Yeshenim. It's a hint of the word they're asleep. Yeshenim in Amitsus. They are asleep from the mitzvahs. They're switched off, they're assimilated, they're, they're not worthy of God's protection. Now, you pause at that Gemara and think, one second, is the Gemara seriously suggesting that Haman was saying to Achishvesh, we can kill the Jews because they're not keeping mitzvahs? Do you understand what sort of premises you need to underlie that proposition? It's crazy. You need to believe this God, that he exists, that he wrote the Torah and cares about it, and that there's consequences to whether a person keeps the mitzvahs or doesn't. Right? <laughs> that sounds like a very, very from Haman. It sounds like a, a bit, doesn't sound like doubt incarnate. It sounds like faith, you know, very strong. And then Achashverosh says, yeah, but look, they've got all these religious Jews, these rabbis, they're doing pretty well. And he says, says Haman, ha ha, de am echad. 
they're one nation. They rise and fall together. If those who are staying faithful don't try to reach out or care for or look after the others, they're, they're vulnerable. That's like a really, 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 <laughs> he's so religious. He holds up Arvos, right? Every Jew's response of one another is like somebody who cares about uh, the Jewish people and wants to reach out. And this is like, well, what is this homily? Uh, you know, he's a mashkiach, he's a kirov worker. He's, he, well, he's, he seems very, very, uh, very religious. And obviously, when the Gemara is telling us, like every medrash, a principal thing of Aaron Kotler once said, what's revealed in the text is always revealed in the world. What's hidden in the text is hidden in the world. And this is not the overt meaning of the text. By the way, of course, Ahasuerus and Hama did not speak in Lashon HaKodesh. They didn't speak in Hebrew. They, they wouldn't have even used these words. But the words they used is being carefully crafted in the Megillah so that overtly Haman is just slandering the people. But it's also alluding to the subtlety of what's really going on in the conversation. The subconscious layer. Consciously, Amalek, of course, doesn't believe in God, believes in chaos and meaningless and hates a people who stand for moral order. In many ways, resembling, for those who studied the writings and speeches of Hitler, will understand how, how much that was part of his way of thinking. But on the subconscious layer, there's something else. Amalek doesn't doubt God. Amalek doubts man. You see, you can go from a subconscious doubt of man into a conscious doubt of meaning, purpose, God, and then hating anyone who talks that way. How does it work? See, suppose subconsciously, I don't feel worthy. I don't believe God could believe in me. I think I'm a load of rubbish. I think I'm random, meaningless, which Haman thinks the whole world is, right? The completely random, meaningless. He throws lots to determine the most important day in Jewish history, the day the Jews are going to die, to say, I have the philosophy and ideology of meaninglessness, something his great, great grandparents shared. Amalek believes in meaningless. says the Torah later on. They happened upon you along the way. Amalek didn't strike the Jewish people by coincidence. It was deeply premeditated. It was attacking from the rear. It was finding all the weakest people and slaughtering them. It was, it was, it was determined for a purpose. The purpose was to cool everything down. There's people about to receive the Torah, spirituality is entering the world. Let's just show they're like normal. Let's create the impression that they are defeatable and crushable. That's like modern, modern terrorists are very into this stuff. Let's show that we're invincible. They're vulnerable. Let's show we can fly planes into buildings so America's not so big and strong. Let's show that we can slaughter Jews and suddenly strike fear and show we can do it again and galvanize people to do it. But at the core of our Malachite ideology in the Torah is this belief and that's why a lot of people are saying this group's Amalek, this group's Amalek. A lot of groups people call Amalek, and not in any literal sense, and not even possible to be Amalek. It might be represent very evil, and, and we want to defend ourselves against evil. But what the Torah aims at Amalek starts before it becomes a violent, genocidal desire to slaughter all the Jews in the world. Before it becomes that, it starts, uh, there's also a, a spiritual, a philosophical Amalek. And the spiritual, philosophical Amalek gnaws in the core of every human being. And it starts with a voice that says, you are a load of rubbish. If there's a God, he doesn't like you. You're probably quite filthy and dirty and horrible. And you may as well give up. And you may as well just give in. Stop trying to be a great human being. Just give in to all the stuff you don't want to do. And just, and then you'll hate yourself even more for it. Ah, yeah. And this voice of self-doubt and self-hatred starts to say, if there's a God in the world, it certainly is not a God who loves me. If there's a God at all, God probably hates me. There's certainly none of this stuff that about the infinite loving creator 
who loves each one of us. That can't be true because he couldn't love me. Ah, consciously and emotionally supporting this conscious feeling is there cannot be a loving God. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, doesn't work with my experience of the world, right? There is no loving God. If there's something, a first cause that made the universe, maybe, and get people to say this when you back them into a corner, like, you know, you really believe the universe created itself? Okay, there might be some first cause, but not something that cares about what I do, right? Or, or, why something bothered to create an entire universe? Why shouldn't it care about anything conscious that can be aware of it in the universe, right? But the subconscious point is, that if I'm not worthy of being loved and I'm only worthy of being hated, then there is no God out there who loves me. Can't be such a thing. Then there's no God. It's a subconscious thing. The conscious mind can then find a thousand arguments and so on. But that seems to be what Haman is saying, according to the Gemara. I don't doubt, may, consciously, of course, I don't believe in any meaning purpose. Let's get rid of these fanatics who believe in this stuff. But subconsciously, it's even if there is, do you think human beings could stay on that level? Can't we find the moment they're asleep? Look, 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 they don't look very godly to me. I don't see them as anything God could care about. And even as a few, maybe they don't care about each other. I see within them something that no way could God care anything about at all. And that doubt, that's a doubt that erodes everything. Because if the human believes the human is nothing better than an animal, then over time, the human begins to behave like an animal. And the human stops trying to be greater. And when humans stop trying to be greater, it doesn't take many generations before families crumble, communities crumble, crime rates go up, depression goes, mental health, all things happen. People grow up thinking that they're useless. Parents are horrific to one another. They grow up with no support system, with no meaning, no purpose. And eventually, 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 in the attempt to then galvanize purpose, all sorts of horrific stuff can happen. When a person lives with self-doubt and self-hatred, even if they find meaning and purpose, it's going to be pretty vicious. So it's a dangerous ideology. And that ideology, that, that voice of doubt is exactly something that the Jewish people experienced. Hayesh Hashem, they didn't say, does God exist or not? They said, Hayesh Hashem im Is God within us or not? We get that God came and saved us and split the sea. We understand that. But that may be some kind of promise to the ancestors, or it may be that there's a God of justice, like a cosmic policeman who dives in and saves, gets rid of the bad guy and saves the good guy. But the God will then care enough about us to follow us through the desert while we're dealing with water problems and food problems. Why should God care about us? Not Hayesh Hashem im Ayin does God exist. Hayesh Hashem Bekir Beinu im Ayin is God within us. And God says, oh, you're asking that question? Do you not understand how much I love you? Do you not understand how much I care about you? If that's where you are, you're in serious danger of the spiritual level of Amalek because that will gnaw inside you. And from your self-hatred will produce a, or hatred of the world, I'll produce all terrible things. Watch who's going to come right now and be attracted to you. The great self-hating mass haters of the world, Amalek. And to defeat them, you're going to have to answer this question. And what is the answer? The answer says Hashem is it's in your hands. You see, you think with your mind, you speak with your mouth, you feel, let's say, emotions connect to the heartbeat, but you act in the world with your hands. That's what we do. Where do you put your actions? Do you see your actions as heavenly or do you see your actions as ugh, the heavy weight of failure and down on earth? Hashem says to Moshe, put your hands up. And that's what he's been telling Moshe all the way through. They leave with their hands up. What it means our hands up? Based on what we were, what Ravitsa Gaza Chava is saying, it means really this. When I put my hands up, 
It means I recognize my actions matter. God has faith in me. Then my hands jump up. But, you know, the Mishnah says, says, Chiyadav shal Moshe Isis Mishnah Rosh Hashanah. Moshe's hands win wars or lose wars. It's telling you, Kolzman she saw Mistapin Klapimala. Whenever the, the Moshe's hands were up, the Jewish people were looking upwards. It generated this upwards look to heaven. And they committed their hearts. Moshe's hands up means his hands are faith. It's not faith and doubt. Faith is the wrong translation, as so many commentaries point out and so many modern speakers point out. Your hands can't have faith or not. Emuna means faithful. Nehemon. Faithful, they're committed. The hand being up there means the hands are committed to God. And that's me saying, Hashem, I believe my actions matter. I realize that if you've created me today, then it means you have faith in me. It's actually the first thing a Jew says in the morning. I thank you that I have another day of life. King of the whole world. You're giving back my soul. You're giving me back another day. With love. How enormous is your faith? How great is your faith in us? Not our faith in you. And when we realize how much faith you have in us, that's when we lift our hands up and say, wow, you believe in me? Little me with all my rubbish and all the stupid things I do and all the messing up and all the failures. You, the infinite creator of the universe, believe in me? You know, it's like um, when you have a million screaming fans somewhere in the world. I mean, I don't know what it's like, but imagine, right? So you feel, oh, they have faith in me. I'm going to get out there and do good things. You know, it's like for the infinite creator of the universe to say, I didn't make a mistake. I know you think you're rubbish, but do you understand how much faith and love I have in you? And we tap into that. Our hands go flying upwards. We say, wow, I, I don't know how you have for this faith in me. I'm going to do something to vindicate it. I'm going to do something today that you would want me to do. That you'll be proud of. And when we don't have that, our hands drop to the ground. And that's what wins the war. The hands, every time that they're in doubt, Moses says, lift up your hand and inspire them to lift up their hands. And then the sea can split. And then the impossible can happen. And then they see, when you lift up your hands, you'll see the, the hand of Hashem. The, Hashem's hands will be created. Hashem's temple will be created. A place will be created through the hands, through God's hands, which are our hands. Right? The Gemara in, in, in Ksuba says, the greater the work of the temple, because it's the work of man, because that's the double hand of God. When God acts through us, when we feel the faith Hashem has in us, that's when we do great things in the world. And that's why the war against Amalek will be fought by the Yad, by the hand, in every generation. It says, The hand is fighting against the throne of two letters of God's name. Now, Hashem's name has four letters, a Yud and a He and a Vav and a He. The first two letters symbolize God as revealed in heaven. The last two letters are God down on earth. Amalek doesn't challenge God in heaven. Maybe consciously, but subconsciously, we can accept that creator. The heavens will rejoice and also down on earth. The words that say the heavens will rejoice, the acronym of that phrase, the heavens will rejoice, Yud and He. Amalek won't fight God in heaven. The Sagelaritz and then the earth rejoicing, Vav and He, that's the initials of those words. The last two letters of God's name, that Amalek fights. So there's a hand against the throne of God, but the first two letters of God. We leave them in there. We battle against the last two letters. Can we feel godliness all the way down into this earth, into this earthy brain with all its animal instincts and all its imperfections and all that's wrong with me? Can I feel that God has faith in me and bring his presence in here? You see, the Sedra is called Bashalach. It was when Paro sent them. Part of the problem was Paro had sent them with his strong hand. Yes, God had done the miracles, 
but they felt the reason we're out is not because God cares about us, it's because Paro is beaten to pulp and he let us go. And we have to move from Bashalach Paro, from Paro sent us out to, and therefore we've got our hands up, to it's actually our own hands. We move from a faith where we see that God could do the miracles to we understand why he would stay committed to us and therefore we're committed to him. And I shared on a short video this week, beautiful idea, the, the chief of police in Manchester when I was growing up, James Anderton, he said, you know, that he wondered about fingerprints. Fingerprints were quite useful in the 20th century to catch thieves. Why is it that every human in the world has, has a unique fingerprint? And now there's a bit of doubt with artificial, maybe every hand does, has slight, you know, every finger's different, but fingerprints have been a very useful identifier. And he said, you know, he said, I've been to lots of Jewish community things. He wasn't Jewish, but he was a very good friend of the Jews. He said, I hear lots of speeches, and I think this is an idea that would resonate with you or be a Jewish idea. I heard this from Diane Aaron-Troy. And Diane Aaron-Troy concurred and said, he got it right. He's heard the right, you know. And he said, because we think, because I don't think with our heads, you know, speak with our mouth, but we act with our hands. And it's so easy to feel, who am I and what difference do I make? I'm just a load of rubbish. Do I make a difference? Come on, I'm not the biggest Talmud Chacham. I'm not the greatest scholar. So I want to sit and learn a bit of Torah. I'll never be one of those brilliant people who know the whole Gemara off by heart. Does my davening make a difference? I see guys can shut their eyes for 20 minutes. I can barely concentrate on one bracha. Does my charity make a difference? I'm not rich. I'm scraping together an income. I give five pounds. Some guy can give a million and like solve the charity's problem. What can I do that I feel rubbish? And he says, so that I'm elaborating the question, but he says, we can feel our actions made no difference. And then Hashem puts a little fingerprint inside each of our finger and says, there's something, I'm giving you a little marker that your hands are actually different because you have a role to play in the world that no one else quite does. And I, I didn't create you by mistake. If the whole world achieves perfection, but you're not there, it's like a machine where all the parts are almost there, but the last link isn't there. Perfection isn't there because you have something to offer the world through your nature and nurture and upbringing that no one else in the world quite can. And if you can hear that, then your hands go flying up to heaven. The voice of, of self-hatred and self-doubt is gone. And in its place is, is hearing the love Hashem has for us and then our ability to share that love and good with the rest of the world. And when it's not there, the self-hatred and self-doubt becomes hatred out there in the world too. So these are just some of the beautiful ideas that of the Sedra of Vashalach and some of the principles. I hope they're, they're valuable to you. And may Hashem help each of us to hear the incredible emunah He has in us so that the hands that were lifted at the beginning, maybe slightly artificially beginning of the Sedra, become the permanent hands that rid the world of self-hatred and self-doubt and put in its place. Somebody put it so beautifully, and I forget why I first heard this, this phrase that the whole of Torah is in essence about our unshakable faith in God who has unshakable faith in each of us. May we hear and feel the faith Hashem has in us, that faithfulness, that winner. May we be faithful to Him and may our hands, may our actions in this world bring full blessing, bring the full revelation of Hashem into this world.